Okay, well, I think I think we've all learned a very valuable lesson tonight. Which is? Which is that you can commute from work, uh-huh. go to an opening, uh-huh. go to Target, take the bus home, uh-huh. and get your drinks, and still start before the regular time. Listen. <laughs> Yeah, I like to record right in the beginning of my week and get turned anyway, and then pay for it. Well, the other seventy-two hours of my working life. Well, hey, you know what? That's that's on me. As you like to say, no one's forcing you. No one's making you do. You don't have to. You don't have to do that. Go in the tote bag. We have to light the fire. Uh, Where? Where's the tote bag? Right here. Right there. Here, I'm gonna just hand you the tote bag. Okay, thank you. I'm not gonna dig around. You know, it's already a slow start to this episode, and here we go. We're gonna spend one minute. With digging sounds. Well, sun oh, chips. Those are the sun chips. Sun chips, famously, such a loud ass bag. Very important. Got to have the sun chips in the bag. Do you remember how what the bag was initially like super recyclable? They did a rebrand. And it was. I do but, remember that? But fatties were too uh, annoyed that it was so loud. When was that? Was that during the beginning of COVID? I feel like, like that the was year a before. real. It was the year before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Twenty nineteen and twenty twenty tend to just bleed together at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's hard to remember. 2010 and 2020 bleed together? That's what you just said. I did? Yeah. Am I having a seizure? I swear Maybe. I said 2019, but... Mm, I thought I heard 2010. Well, we have a recording of it, so you'll find out I'll later. I'll find out later when I'm posting this at 1 a.m. My point is I can't remember if we were arguing about sun chips on Zoom or if that was a thing that happened in real life. Mm, I don't know. And now... I've been housing them, you know, family pack bags as a serving of one for... You know, years now, so I don't know. It's pretty amazing that a corporation can, you know, be cudgeled into making, like, a multi-million dollar decision because people are annoyed that it doesn't do what it used to do. I think that was a scapegoat moment where people are just like, listen, like, it's loud. I can't hear my TV. But also, you know, Frito-Lay was probably just like, honestly, it's cheaper if we go back to the old way, so fuck it, whatever. Oh, you think that's what happened? You think they made a corporate greenwashing decision and then regretted Duh. it, so yeah. they created a false flag meme to make it look like it was from the ground, or, or you know, an astroturf meme? Because what, like, yeah, what kind of like you know blob person, you know, is housing sun chips and can't hear the TV? I think a lot of people, man. Sun chips? No, they're that's what ruffles are for. No, 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 no. I think you misunderstand. I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of uh, upward of 300 pound folks out there that Slamming are like I'm going chips? on a diet, oh, so it, I'm buying sun chips. It's not healthier. I it's mean, in fact, quite worse. I remember a time in my life when I thought Arizona iced tea and Sobe Life Water were healthy. Were you 12? Yes. Okay. So well, you know, back in the early 2000s, we didn't know the difference. If something was branded as Life Water, you were like, oh, it's Life Water. It's water that gives me life. So it must be good for me. Okay. Well, you know, incorrect, but you know, because it's just sugar water. But I learned tonight that I can't have fifteen seltzers a day. That that might actually be bad for me. It fucks up your teeth enamel too. Uh, it does. Yeah. Is that why my gums bleed when I floss? Probably. Really. I had to have a long talk with my dentist. Did I tell you this? No. So you know, it's the end of the year, and I'm trying to use up FSA money. Ah. Uh-huh. But uh, my dentist told me, "Hey, you can't keep your wisdom teeth anymore." And I said, "No, not this. I liked you so much, my MAGA dentist." Okay. I love my MAGA dental hygienists that talk to me about racist things that happens in their communities. And 
then the doctor comes in who's definitely not MAGA and she's like get rid of your wisdom teeth and I'm like no please we've we've had a two year relationship you get Percocet at the end well she made a convincing case she was like listen I'm not going to give you the runaround here this isn't for my benefit but if you get older and you have a problem back there and you take them out like the chances of something getting infected or you getting dry are so much higher it's like getting chicken pox without having gotten them in your youth yeah you're fucked she's like that's all I'm trying to tell you okay so we'll leave it up to you but I'm just letting you know that no matter how much you floss, you can't reach back there. Yeah. Because there's no tooth behind the wisdom tooth. Yeah. So there's no crevice. And that part is why your gums bleed and, you know, why yeah. you're having a hard time. So I'll give you yeah. another year. But if you don't somehow improve, we're, uh, we're going to take out. them out. And mm. I said, fuck, fine. How do I improve? And she said, you got to get a water pick. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the water pick? Yeah. I've been doing a lot of research on these devices. You know, you can get the ha- like a handheld one that isn't attached to a tank now. I did not know that. Yeah. I'm going to have to investigate that because I don't. You got to refill the little like shooter a lot, but you know. I don't like the tank. You know, ugly. I, yeah. Well, there's just not a lot of counter space in New York apartments, especially in bathrooms. Where the fuck am I going to put? Well, your bathroom is also shaped like an isometric triangle from hell. That is true. That is true. A railroad bathroom is, you know, it's especially precious the counter space. Yeah. But so I, I was going to get the uh, Waterpick Nano. Which is the smallest version, ostensibly the travel version. It still has a tank, though? But it still has a tank. It just oh. has a small tank. Tankless, motherfucker. It has a big old base. So, ooh. The handles, you know. The way you, know you gestured and no. said big old base. Yeah. I've know, had to reference big old pleasure. bases for, like, you know, large portion and of my so adult you don't life. Lose so, it. that'd be a flared base. That's <laughs> different. That's different. We were just in a Target. We missed looking at all the anal Christmas trees. What? They have so many, like, you know, abstracted trees that really? just look like stacked butt plugs. Oh, no. They do that now? Like an artificial tree that's like designed They're instead like of being like a simulation mantle tops. tree? So oh, it's just like two triangles on top mm. of each other out of carved wood. But well, they don't have a base, so it's going to get lost in your hand splinter. Th- oh, no. Th- you know, they're going to get an uptick in sales, and there's a lot of Santa Claus hats on OnlyFans on, utilizing on, those. On Tiki Takis, there's lesbians that go walking around and going okay this one no no flared base this mm. one maybe wow tiktok not good yeah anyways mm-hmm. so the water water pick. picks yeah yeah so i've been doing research into the water pick and i'm going to use my fsa money to buy one but now I, yeah. I had to recontact my dentist and say the fsa requires me to get a letter of medical necessity for this this is only fsa eligible if i get a letter saying i have to have this that's dumb Okay. And so now I'm awaiting word from my doctor on whether it's actually medically necessary or not. Because mm-hmm. they mentioned it to me. Yeah. They brought it up and said, hey, you need to get this or I'm ripping your teeth out. Mm-hmm. And I don't want my teeth ripped out. Fair. So I would say that qualifies as medical necessity. I would like to keep the teeth that I have. So yeah. let's, let's go with this. But, you know, my MAGA dentist, it's kind of hard to get in touch with them. They're really old school. Oh. They don't respond to their emails. And then you call them. And the very terse receptionist is like, the doctor can't talk to you right now. And it, she's like, call back. And it's like, what went? And she's like, just some other time. I text my dentist. <laughs> See, neoliberal dentist. This is the two but types they, of dentists that there yeah, are Yeah, but now. they always are like, so when you get, when are you going to get those uh, those retainers? And I'm like, uh, the sixth of never, you know this. And they're like, well, you have some potential for shifting because you're tense. Do you grind your teeth at night? And I've asked. I'm like, do I grind my teeth at night? Do you hear this? Like, no. I don't know if the but person like, I know adjacent I, to you would be able to hear it, though. Sometimes you can. In between the snoring, I don't know. It might get lost. Mm, Yeah. Sounds like a fucking water buffalo. So. Wow. Jeez. What? 
I, you know, I don't like to imagine other people's bedroom situations, but just, you know... The I'm com- saying I snore. I understand that. But the combination of noises that are happening in that vicinity <laughs> is just like... That's a that's a horror show to me. You anyway. know that I can snore like a fucking horse. Oh, yeah. I do know this. Of course. Mm, well, so can I. Although, apparently, I don't think I do anymore. Yeah, you do. Or at least not to the point where it bothers anybody. When you're really hammered, you, mm. I could hear you... I would sit on the couch and be like... What's that sound? Oh, geez, yeah. Then mm. I, I, and then the door would start creaking open and slam shut. And I'd be like, <laughs> what in the Warner Brothers is happening here? Jesus oh, fucking Christ. Oh, my God. I, it's like, uh, you know, when you're honk shooing with like a yeah. tissue above your nose. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Well, anyways. Yeah, so the water pick. We'll see if I get the water pick. It's 40 bucks. Who gives a shit? Just buy I, but new glasses. I wanna, but I want to use up my FSA money. Glasses, bitch. I'm turning a new leaf and being fiscally responsible. How much you got in that FSA? I got a I got about a hundred and eighty dollars left. Oh, so not not too much fun money. No, I can't buy anything like really I- I- insane anyway. I'm gonna buy like a sunglasses. bunch of I already did that. Get another pair. I don't need to do, I don't need another pair. You I got two pair? new pairs of glasses and a and a pair of sunnies. Get a second pair of sunnies. I didn't tell you about my sunnies, did I? You're not gonna like this. Oh god. I got clip ons. Yeah, these look new. Oh, fuck off. These are new. These are yeah, not this, the ones this that the brown, sunnies yeah. clip onto. The, I but I've had these for like a month and you haven't said anything. I've been I'm waiting for lighter. this moment. No, I noticed them on the bus today because I could see the... Because uh-huh. you usually have the fade ones, but I'm always looking at you straight on, so I can't see the color difference. Well, here's the thing. I've had fade ones in the past, but the difference with these, this pair for the listener is these are like brown to light brown. I usually don't go for light colored glasses. I usually go for a blue. I usually have blue or black. Yeah. Or gray. But I went for the light color this time, and then the other pair I got is a clear pair. You've had the clear pair before what's on my face oh yeah yeah it's again low lighting hard mm. to tell yep my i have a clear pair but it's a little more shaded towards the blue clear rather than the oh yeah, yeah. the, the yeah. sort of just transparent Crystal. transparent yeah. and i got clip-on sunnies for the clear pair that's disgusting and i wore them to the pumpkin patch i like the clip-on sunnies a lot although it's harder to get them off one-handed yeah. than you would think my whole thing was thinking you got a two you have to do the two clip, otherwise you twist your glasses in half. Well, yeah, I thought that maybe this will be better for driving, right? Because sometimes I don't like having to switch hmm. back and forth between my sunglasses, and I thought this will be great. I can like like the Matrix. I can just like clip them on my little early two thousands glasses and be on my way. But you can't do it no, with one hand, no. So it's a little more annoying, actually. Yeah. But I think it'll be good for the beach. I'm excited for clip on sunnies on mm. the beach. But yeah, so I already went through the. Uh, the optical stuff, mm. and now I'm on to like, all right, I got to use the rest of this somehow. Can you get a Theragun? I actually could get a Theragun, but those are way more expensive than They're I thought. Four hundred dollars, yeah. They're not necessarily four hundred dollars. Even like lower end generic ones that would be just fine mm. are around the amount of FSA money I have left. Mm-hmm. But it feels wrong to spend it all on one thing. Can I want many things for my money here. Can't you just like go to CVS and just buy a bunch of shit? Of course you can do that, which I am going to do also. I mean, I need moisturizer. It's good to get, like, Band-Aids and stuff. Yeah. I'm actually going to buy some feminine products for Re because those are expensive, and mm. why not? You know, mm. it's a nice gesture. So I am doing all of this, but, you know, again, I'm trying to factor in, like, i got to get a treat out of this. Wait, if you have $180, you can go get a chemical peel. Yeah, but I don't want that. What do I need that for? I don't know, Botox? I've sp- I've spent literally thousands of dollars at the dermatologist yeah. over the last three years, and I finally rid myself of all my major problems. And I have a nice, you yeah, know... you got two two problems right here, though. Gookie and Louis uh, Vuitton. Listen, I don't care about that. Oh, well. Un- unlike the gay men and women, I happen to be a straight man. And we can just get away with that forever, mm. you know? I started noticing some lines under my eyes that I was like, well, I guess this is what we're on to now. Well, and what I mean by get away with that is not that, like... 
is not that it's not going to happen or, you know, mm. that I have a eternal fountain of youth over here. It's just that I don't care and don't have to care. It doesn't even occur to me. You should. Though. I very rarely look at myself in the mirror. Well, other people have to look at you. <laughs> it's not for you. Not it's really. not about you. It's not about how you hey, feel. Hey, man, thank goodness the weather's getting cold and it's Kirkland time. Oh. Because it doesn't matter now. <laughs> we'll readjust this in April. Oh, you can also use You can pay for a whole year of gym membership if you wanted. That's true. Can you pay up front for a gym membership? Yes. You can pay for the whole year yeah. at once? Okay, I might do that, actually. I think you can. Fuck it. Why not? If I can, get, yeah, if I can get it on the FSA, that's great. Get a blink, pay for the whole year, call it a day. Mm-hmm. I think I actually might do that. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah. That's getting out of the fucking blink when it's already done, but you know. What? Oh, right. When, yeah. If you're like, when you want to cancel it. Yeah, you're like, mm, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. That's tough. You need a letter of medical necessity to quit your gym. I mean, I just need, I, it's. Sorry, does it smell like croissants to you? Do you smell that? Is that the candle? It might be the candle. Weird, it smells I like I don't smell butter. croissants, but. It smells like buttery, delicious French pastry. I mean, I cooked a steak and butter for lunch today. Oh, okay. Then it's definitely so the it residue be, of that. It might be some residues <laughs> of that. Listen, oh sometimes you're like, I. It's like, oh, we could go to lunch and go get Thai food, or it's like, I need some iron. I yeah. need iron. I feel a little crazy. You know, let's yeah. go do that instead. Oh. So I was hey. like, I'll go cook a fucking steak. It's fine. Do not get me started, dude. Uh, my my partner is not so into red meat. She loves red meat, of mm-hmm. course, but she doesn't want to eat it all the time. Mm. Which I could eat it every day. I have no. I would have no problem doing that. Mm. Much like the seltzer, if I had fifteen butter drenched ribeyes a day, I'd be a pig and shit. Well, you'd be dead. Yeah, I'd also be a gourmand. You know, that's why my image of like a cartoon food critic is a guy that does that. Uh huh. Anyways, so the other day I was like, I'm fed up. I'm having a steak tonight. Like, we're just doing this. Mm-hmm. And, then, you know, I got sanctioned. It was like, okay, fine. And it it was a Sunday, and all the butchers near me that I've been meaning to try mm-hmm. were closed. Oh. Except for one. This would have been my last choice, just walking around. On paper, it didn't look good. Mm-hmm. It's the Spanish butcher near my house. It kind of just looks like a bodega. And I always thought, like, eh, is this like a Western beef situation where oh. it's like, branded badly and actually is bad Mm. turns out it wasn't it was a fantastic butcher i walked in there at the end of the day they're about to close and i'm like do you have any ribeye left and they're like only frozen i'm like oh man and i'm about to walk out you know the sadness yeah and the guy goes wait a second and he goes in the back room opens up a brand new giant cut of ribeye and he's like come back here and he's like how thick do you want it and he just slices two steaks right there for me thick as i wanted very good deal. 30 bucks for two steaks. That's, That's not, not bad, bad these days. Not yeah. at all. And man, I cooked those fuckers up and they were really good. Damn. And, and, and you know, I can't express enough how worth it it is to actually go to a butcher. You know oh, this yeah, yeah, yeah. from going to the butcher near uh, Court Street TJ's. Yeah. It's not worth buying steak at a grocery store. It's just not as good. I had it never will a be. very decent flank steak. To that me. can be okay. That was, I mean, and it was cheap. It was $11. Yes. Portioned to two little fillets. I was like, you know what? Did I want to eat the whole thing myself? Yes. Was I being nice? Yes. Um, I undercooked it at first, so then I ha- it was blue. Because there's no fat in it. It's just I, mostly muscle. I would rather that happen, though. Because that can be rectified. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. It wasn't dead, so I was like, I was just, eh, whatever. Um, but it was fine. For $11 versus like a strip that really I don't want to split. No. That's a 
serving for one. Yeah. But for 11 for two people and, like, you know, a lovely side assortment. Yeah. Great. Well, you know, I miss the days of this because it got popular. But it used to be, like, when we first moved to New York, a skirt steak used to be the cheap cut. And that's really good shit. But then that became bar steak. Exactly. And then everyone's like, oh, I can cook it at home. Well, and it got trendy in tacos and in restaurants. And, you know, that used to be an off cut that was like $2 a pound. Yeah. And now it's like $22 a pound. Which is stupid. That No, it's coming down. I got, I think I bought, last time I bought a skirt steak, it was like $9 for like two lovely little pieces or long pieces. That's not bad, but I wonder what that is in terms of weight, you know? Because it is still, as, as far as I know, I haven't tried mm. to buy one in a long time, but the last couple of years, it's been 20 bucks a pound, basically. That's um, psychotic, but... Yeah, which yeah, is insane yeah. for that, because it's... a it's, shitty cut. Well, it's a delicious cut, but it's it's supposed to be scrap. Yeah. You know? But anyway. Yeah, so I can't stress enough. Go to your local butcher. It fucking rules. There's a halal butcher near me that I've been dying to go to, but it's one of these old school businesses in my neighborhood that's like only open till four on oh, weekdays. Yeah, never, and it's just like, yeah. I will never get to experience this. Mm-mm. I just longingly look through the window, you know, like a like a 1970s Christmas movie. Tiny Tim and, outside and of the And it's always butcher. closed. I, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like Charlie Bucket, like wanting my Which time do they ticket. open it? Like eight? Yeah, they open. They open like after I go to work, and they close before I get home from work. It's just oh, never going to yeah. happen. Hmm. I, you know what I think I'm going to do next time I have a quote unquote doctor's appointment? Yeah, I'll say, "Oh, hey, over. boss, I have to go to my MAGA dentist," and then just go there instead. Yeah, just scooch on over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, in fact, I have an opportunity to do this next Tuesday. I got contacted. This is a little inside baseball, but I don't think it's compromising. I got contacted by like a department of my work that I've never interacted with before. And they were like, Hey, we still don't have a headshot of you. You've worked here for almost three years and we don't have your headshot. You need to get a headshot for our like employee book. Apparently they keep like an album of everyone who's ever worked there with a picture of them. Well, Also for security reasons. Yes. They should have a picture. I guess, but they have my ID, you know, like the HR department knows who I am. I verified my identity. They have a picture of me, but they don't have like a picture, a studio picture of me that they took. Yeah. But they finally caught up with me Mm. because, you know, I don't know about you, but in my organization on the Outlook, everybody has a little bubble next to their name and most people have some kind of picture in there. Mm, And mine is just the gray background with my initials in it. Yeah. Which I prefer. If we, you've never like fuck with met me IRL, you don't need to know what I look like. Yeah, we don't. You know, mm-hmm. 1776, man. This is this is some Walter Sobchak Bill of Rights shit. <laughs> and I don't want you to have my but uh, but now they caught up with me and I have to get my picture taken. So mm-hmm. lucky for me, it's not at my location. So next Tuesday I get a little like half day reprieve where I get to go down to the other location to get my picture taken. So I might not go back to work. No, no, I have to go back to work, but my point is I can linger in coming to work at all. Because oh. all I have to do is make my headshot appointment, but there's a four-hour window in there where a lot else can happen, and that might be halal butcher time. So when I show up smelling like a buttered steak, they're going to be like, you were getting your headshot take? What, what were they doing over there? Yeah, I got oiled up. I don't mm-hmm. know. They said it was yeah. good for reflection. Yeah, they showed me like a Christmas tree that they bought at Target and said, don't worry, it's flared. And I said, okay. Yep. And then just walk a little funny. You know, yeah. I'm going <laughs> to... Never mind. I can't talk about this. <laughs> After show material. Yeah, yeah. There's a division of my organization called Blank Ventures. 
mm. that d- d- does startup esque ideas, and I think I might pitch to them that they should start an OnlyFans. We can start with that Vanity Fair uh, photo shoot of Jeff Koons nude lifting weights and go from there. <sighs> I don't even want to know who jerked off to that, but you know that somebody did. That's the thing. Isn't that crazy? Enough people saw that that somebody did that. Some why? Because rule forty three or rule fifty six, whatever. The well, fuck it is. yeah, rule forty three is if you can think of it, there's porn of it. Mm, yeah. Jeff Koons was way ahead of that. I mean, yeah, Made in Heaven was nineteen ninety one. He invented yeah. rule forty three, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. I'm just saying that there's some sad, lonely, closeted gay man that saw that Vanity Fair cover shoot and a balloon dog covering a sausage and said, "I can, I can get away with this." Mom and dad will never know. I yeah, I don't th- I feel like I if you have a vanity fair in the home, you're probably rich enough to have several bathrooms and also not have any sort of, you know, repercussions for you know. Maybe you don't think there's poor people that subscribe to Vanity Fair? No. Really? No, cuz you can mostly read it for free. Um That's true. Like I was reading about the Housewives scandal. Which one? I don't know. Apparently there's some suing going on oh really one of them used to black out and peed herself on some trip hmm. it's mostly about her and i was like i don't really care and this is so long oh i mean I don't, that's kind of par for the course for those shows that doesn't even ring a bell hmm. i don't know there's a lot it doesn't going narrow on it down there. no yeah, it doesn't no. no it doesn't i've been watching jenna lyons get pilloried in the uh, roni reunion shows why no, uh, no one was even talking about There's her. a psychopath on one of those shows named Uba who really has it out for her for some reason. Everybody thinks that she's very fake. I mean... Which, again, par for the course. Her teeth are fake, her hair is fake. We know this. Uh, once you again, know. every time this comes up, I do feel like I want to talk about it, and then I'm like, wait, I can't do this. This no. is not good. This is not good for the podcast to have one-third of it be about Real Housewives no, every no, three no, weeks. No, 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 no. <laughs> Speaking of Vanity Fair, though, I think mm-hmm. this was... Oh, and never mind. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of something else. It wasn't Vanity Fair. But the, you know, remember the Larry Gagosian article? Mm-hmm. Apparently, that's gotten like picked up. That was VF. That was Vanity Fair? I'm pretty sure. No, I was thought that Times? was the New York, New York Times Magazine or some shit. Sure, whatever. Anyways, that's gotten kind of like picked up by certain corners of like Twitter mm. that are like all about startups. And I listened to part of it. I didn't finish it. A podcast today of a guy who reads biographies of people that founded things. Hmm. And since Larry Gagosian doesn't have a biography, he Yet. used that article. Okay. Um, so, of course, I didn't glean any new information of it. But what this guy does is effectively just try to summarize, like, what is Larry Gagosian's, like, ethos here? And then he published a little, like, substack compendium where he breaks it down into bullet points. And when you see, like, Larry Gagosian's, like, mantras for life in bullet points, Ooh. it adds up to, yeah, a real unethical son of a bitch. Well. You know. What what are some of them? I don't... In bullet point, it's a little weird. I don't know. Uh, you, you know, um, most of them are... Most of them are pretty bog-standard stuff. Like, they're just, like, platitudes that are kind of, like... I don't know. I don't like understand how they're like insightful. the cream rises to the top or something. Exactly. Bullshit, Stuff know? like yeah. that where they're where they're like basically like uh you can sell things that aren't for sale. Um you know, blah blah blah. The most interesting one to me that I didn't pick up from the New York Times article about him that this guy cited was that he was really big on reading all the biographies of people in your industry that 
came before you mm-hmm. that they, those essentially function as blueprints for future career yeah. moves. Yeah, he Larry. liked that one historian or whatever, yeah. Joseph Duveen, I think, was the guy's name. Mm-hmm. Something like that. He wasn't a historian. He was an art dealer. He was the Larry Gagosian of the Gilded Age. Oh. And I'd never heard of this guy somehow. He's like, Larry's like a specialist in that guy. Well, it's interesting, you know, because you hear about Leo Costelli, and I can't think of their names right now, but there's certain, like, French art dealers from the 19th century that were important, you know, people that sold Van Gogh and stuff. Oh, what's his face? The guy? Yeah, yeah. Well, his brother, Theo, was kind of that, but he had a connection with some gallery, Yeah, you know, that was very prominent at the time. But you never hear this guy's name, Duveen, I think it is. Um, And his thing was... Oh, the, the quotable from his Wikipedia page is, oh, it seems to me that there's plenty of money. Or, I'm sorry. It seems to me that there's plenty of great art in Europe and plenty of money in America. So his thing was like finding bankrupted aristocrats in the late 19th century, like European environment and World selling War I environment off, and yeah. then selling them to robber barons in the United States. Yeah, duh. Which, you know, is essentially like the business model that Larry Gagosian eventually scaled up. Which is find where the money is. In his case, he doesn't care if you're from Russia or the Middle East or China or whatever. He's going to sell you art from American collectors that are going bankrupt because they lost it all on GameStop or whatever. Yeah. You know? So it's interesting. It's it's fascinating that this guy is not better known. I think it's just because that period of time of American art is not so interesting. It's not good. And also, I mean, I also think, like, you know, when we teach art history, we don't teach the dirty business of it, which is kind of annoying. No, it's you really find, annoying. You find out about it later, and you're like, ooh, fun. Or like it's a fun little anecdote on a label, and you're like, huh. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like like a parallel or like an analogy for like more popular history that would make sense. It's like, you know, for me, like when I, th- when I think about like reading about the world wars, right? Uh-huh. It's like, what if they, and they do kind of do this actually. What if they taught you about the world wars, but they didn't teach you anything about like the particular political or economic environments of the countries involved? Hmm. Which, if you think about the average American, they do basically have that's that basically, narrative. Yeah. There's good guys and bad guys, and we were the good guys, yeah. and they were the bad guys. And that's uh-huh. like, that's true in a sense, but that that's not a really great picture of why things happened, right? right. Yeah. So I guess you get the same kind of like, superficial education in art history you learn about all the the creators of art without learning about the industry of art which Mm -hmm. you know we've discussed many times as a consistent like issue in terms of the short-term immediate effects on like young artists careers but it's also not good history like i really do i really do wish that we had learned a little bit more about like the broader environment of the way that art was like perceived and traded and stuff it it affects how people made it so it matters and i'm sure there are letters like back and forth letters about like i like that picture i'll give you a hundred dollars for it and it's like "Mm, no yeah i want 250 and it's like you know i would like to see those letters but even that might have been just some handshake bullshit back in the day well i guarantee it was i don't think that's the problem with this i don't think that much of this is documented and i think that art especially the industry of art has always been niche enough that nobody's ever been incentivized to write histories of it. A lot of, I mean, a lot of that trade is also like, this is why you have like Holocaust reparation tracing. Like there's a lot of things that it's like who sold it to whom, which is hard to trace. And like you have to find certain archives and usually they're like French 
archives. Well, but you know. you know, that's funny. That's an interesting example, right? Because who sold it to whomst is really hard to trace. And why? And, and then if makes, under duress or not, you know. That well, it makes stuff. the repatriation very difficult because you know who did keep really good records were the Nazis that stole it all. Like yeah. Hermann Goering kept a really great catalog of everything he had and where it was. But the people that had it before him didn't do that. And, you know, in in, in the contemporary environment, it's very easy to understand why that is. Like, uh, you know, for legal reasons, things have to be a little bit better documented now. Um, for insurance reasons, not legal reasons. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's actually it's not true. not legal. It's insurance. Come on. Uh, well, no, I'm sure there's some. St- I mean, when you make a sale of a certain size, you have to make it above board on some level. Yeah. You can't do a cash only deal. For something that's $45 million. You hey, know? Yeah, you're transferring. That's wire transfer. That's, you know. There's a document yeah, of it yeah. somewhere. Somehow. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, but people skirt that all the time, I'm sure, in terms of installments. I mean, and people were still writing checks back in the day. In the 1800s, right? Yeah, but the, like thing, but documents on paper are really a different story because things get lost in fires. Yeah. It's just not as easy to keep. Or it just becomes a not important part of the archive. Yeah. Which is like. That's the part that is missing, you know. Um, I don't know. It's a little... I don't know why we don't teach this. I mean, I feel like I've had, like, you know, in the educational thing, like, maybe, like, two instances where people were, like, openly talking talking about, like, shady deals and bullshit. You know, like, when you learn, like, oh, dealers had to buy two. Like, buy a, a shitty drawing and a painting if they wanted but and one of them had to be donated if they wanted access to anything, you know. And if you know better, you scream it out at a visiting artist, and then you leave the room like a rock star. Yeah. I only got to do that once. It was really fun. I, I mean, I think I don't think any of it is malintent or anything. I think a lot of it is just opaque even to the people that are responsible to teach things. Like, oh, yeah. as we've discussed many times, I mean, most teachers operate on a pretty low level art world-wise. I mean, yeah. some of them don't, but they're not, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have any real incentive to tell you about it anyway. They're also usually not that involved in their sale market. Like, exactly. Know, they, they don't, don't actually care. know. I mean, it, it, it's personal protection on one level, but it's also ignorance on another level. And then whatever applies to them doesn't necessarily ap- apply broadly. Like, interestingly enough, today I was having a conversation with some colleagues about, like, cuts of artists' work. We were actually talking about um, Big JK. Uh, I won't get into it, but predictably his cuts of things are absurd and it's all contingent on like whether or not the fabrication is paid for. And it's very complicated. Oh yeah. But he's a real, he's a real shark when it comes to this. Believe me, he gets his, uh, Oh yeah. He's not paying for it. Well, on a number of levels, but anyway, um, we were talking about cuts and you know what you always hear in general is like, I wouldn't want to know what his payroll looks like because I'm sure there's, that's gotta be a nightmare. I, I mean, I, I mean, listen, separ- separating it from anything I know on the inside, I think you have to imagine like any large business, I feel like somebody like Coons is always operating on the edge of bankruptcy. I mean, I think like his liquidity is probably purely on the basis of loans against collateral. I mean, it's 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 interesting when you learn more about finance and like big business, they operate on the edge constantly. Oh, yeah. I mean, biz- businesses in general, I mean setting aside like apple and people that are absurdly successful and hold a lot of cash um 
most businesses are operating on debt constantly and they're a couple bad months away from not being able to make payroll. And I would imagine an artist like him who comes from a finance background, specifically like a hedge fund trading background is probably pretty risky with his assets and what he's doing. Like I, I guarantee you his payroll is massive and I guarantee you he barely makes it most of the time. Especially or, in the art world, when your sales are very inconsistent, it's it's at the at the will and the whim of collectors. It's at the will and the whim of when you have shows. I was thinking you it's know. actually closer to like, well, this color mixer is on the payroll of Boop Gallery, but also maybe an Umbrella Corp of Boop Collector who's financing the thing, and then you just shell game it around. I think it depends. I think it depends if it's a commission. I think it depends if it's for a show. I think I think all like of how these... many LLCs are under the. Coons Corp. I think know? all of these things are are different depending on the situation, and it makes me really wonder who his like money manager or studio manager is because they must be a very financially literate person. Like I yeah. guarantee you, Jeff Coons is like studio manager. Maybe not the person, not with, the studio manager. Maybe the not the person ma- with yeah. the title of studio manager, but there's somebody in there that there's a COO of his studio, whoever is has a different title, but effectively is that. Yeah, they know how everything gets done, but. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure it's mixed up and it's all across the board. It's very complicated. It's very, very complicated. And in the art world where every arrangement is by default going to be different and then enter into the picture somebody like him who's very exacting in terms of fabrication, uh, how does that? How does a situation like that change when you might lose 10 or 12 years because the foundry is not doing it right? Right. Yeah. And and the story, you know, the the cynical view of that story is always that oh, Jeff Koons bankrupted a foundry, but it's also like you're paying them for a service that they're not performing, right? And <sighs> you you could paint that as like he's uh, like a complete monster, but it's also like no, you bid this job like a contractor. Yeah, kind you of, bid yeah. this job and you're not doing well, it. Well, you promised that you could do it and then you And then you can't it. do it. Granted like are so. the standards something that you could have achieved? Maybe not. So why oversell? Why well, overpromise? Did you write any of this down? Well, yeah. probably not. Mm-hmm. So uh, whose fault is that? You know, any business worth their salt would never enter enter into some kind of situation like that because it would be very clear right. when they could sever the relationship. The fact that a foundry like that was kept on the line for over a decade means the person that was running that didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, that's kind of more funny. than likely. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, they, you know. It's a combination of problems, right? It's like financial and macroeconomic illiteracy in general of most people. And then, you know, not inserting that in the proper way into an education. Yeah. Like, I always wish wish that education in general was just more holistic, whether it's history or art history or art practice or mathematics or whatever they should always basically every subject should have an economics angle for one third of the time you're doing it do you remember like you know when we were much younger i would like it'd be auction time and i would like look at hammer prices and you'd be like why do you care i'm like because this is kind of important like in terms of you can see the way that you know what you will see in the world will shift when you start looking at auction prices and like what goes up for auction what is over you know overbid what's underbid what's bought in like you can kind of see what you're going to see out in the culture from there i don't know i you know because galleries will follow that model of like oh fuck we can't i, I, we don't I think show you, that anymore I, okay great you know i don't know what I, I i don't know what i said back then but now what i think is you're 
your sentiment is directionally correct, but it's inverted. I think the reason that auction prices are not that interesting to me is that what you're seeing is the tail of a market, mm-hmm. not the start of a market. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think that's kind of undeniable when you think about like flash in the pan uh, zombie formalism style success. Whenever you're talking about something in an auction environment, you're talking about the top, the top of the bull market right before the crash, right. usually in extreme examples. But even in moderate examples you're still talking about something that's trailing the trends not something that's anticipating the trends and then the other part usually be a reaction against whatever the result are maybe potentially whatever you're whatever but it's not going to tell you very much other than maybe that there's a cyclical turn happening which i think is what you're talking about yeah the other the other problem that I have with like looking at price signal all the time is especially in terms of art, but in general, is that that's just guessing. Like, mm. you know, prices are not representative of value. I, I think that's a mistake that people often make, and it, actually, art is a perfect example yeah. of that. And when you're talking about an auction situation where all the incentives are aligned to heighten the price signal as much as possible, there's a reason. In economics, they say price signal because it's supposed to point you towards something. Yeah. But I think in terms of art, that signal is just noise. I, I think you're better off saying price noise in terms of an auction environment. I mean, I just had this kind of, not argument, but like mild tete-a-tete the other day. What day was it? I don't know. Um, where, you know, in my world, we talk about pricing and usually that's set very far in advance you know like that's determined based on you know buy sizes and you know cost of fabrication like the the whole shebang right you know like the goods and services that lead to the thing arriving on your doorstep and putting it to market right yeah but like you know me and someone else were like could cost this and then someone was like oh do we need to change it we can do it tomorrow i was like and we both looked at each other like no 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 no. we have to see if this is actually going to take or not like it's a it could but we're not going to do that right now kind of conversation like should and could and reality are all those those lovely triad of market stuff that you're always like playing yeah well like in terms of equities they talk about things in terms of price discovery right like if if a stock is neither uh obviously underperforming nor obviously overperforming they usually refer to it in terms of its in price discovery mm-hmm. uh, and there's i mean there's more to it than that you know you look at you look at the p uh, the pe ratio you look at all you look at all these metrics and you say like certain parts of my analysis are not meeting up with the value that this thing is presenting mm-hmm. so it's discovering its price right yeah yeah i, I mean that's how all markets work, right? Like the libertarian myth is that markets are efficient and that they automatically uh, revert to the actual value eventually or somewhere near the actual value over time. But I think, I don't know. I think it's just, I'm not a fucking economist, but I think it's just intuitively obvious to me that 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 doesn't ever really happen. And I wonder if, I wonder if I'm just wrong in that assessment that I'm not looking on like a long enough time horizon or something or that um, because I think 
in our lifetimes we've lived in an exceptionally like manipulative and um skewed like economic economic sphere. scheme yeah. that yeah. it's very hard to tell whether that would actually work in an ideal environment or not yeah, hard to yeah you're right hard to say because I, the amount of bait and switch involved in that is also very high well I, just how do you for example how do you assess the value of anything when the er commodity money um is based on debt Like, that's what a fiat currency is, right? Like, you inflate debt to create demand for your currency. People will often say things like the dollar's not backed by anything. It's just backed by faith. Well, that's not true. It's backed by debt. And the amount of debt constantly, steadily increasing increases the demand for dollars. And that's how you keep um, the value of a currency in equilibrium, right? That's not unreal, but that's not concrete either, so if that's the basis for I mean, your it's faith-based currency at that point, but you know, well, no, it's not, again, it's, it's certain it... again, it's not faith-based. Like the rate, the ratio of debt to cash is what determines the value. That's not faith. Right. Yeah, yeah. And okay. that's not arbitrary. Uh, but again, that's not material. That's not concrete. That's yeah. not like it being backed by a metal yeah, where there's only gold, a certain yeah. amount of it. I mean, yeah. even fucking Bitcoin has only a certain amount that can be made. In a certain sense, that's like an easier thing to understand right. than, a fi- than a fiat currency system. So my point is that if, if that's the basis, if, if a kind of like equation is the basis for your rational market in the way that you value anything, and it's an immaterial quality that brings things value, not only is that like incredibly counterintuitive in the first place that value can be generated by an ideal and not by something material. Uh, it makes it super hard for a normal person like me to then address anything that's built on top of that structure. So then when you get to something like art, which is on the way, like far Pluto fringes of establishing like value versus reality, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to make that correlation anymore. Right. And I don't know how to do that for an article of clothing or yeah. a pair of shoes or really anything. Yeah. Um, supply and demand, I don't think, functions when you're worried about a, de- a debt to like liquidity ratio. Well, no, the liquidity is the most important part when you're doing those pricing things. You have to be able to make sure that you can make moves in the future and in the present. Like big moves in the future and like little mini shifts. So it's all timing. All of that is timing. And I think, you know, it goes back to your point of, like, Jeff Koons being on the bankruptcy all the time. Like, you have to give yourself runway. The runway can be short or it can be long. Depends on how big the decision is. You know, like, it's, you know. Right. But Pricing some t-shirts gives you a very short runway so that way you can, like, make a couple extra bucks. But when you start buying, like, a full program of something, you need a giant runway. Because if that fails, you're fucked. Yeah, you if know. You, if you have a short runway in that regard, you know. Uh, of course, that's a very astute point. But what you're only talking about is the supply side. Yeah. The demand side is also suffering from the same exact dynamic because people fucking buy things on credit cards. Yeah. So imagine now you have a consumer side where sometimes you're paying your rent on a credit card because you can't quite make it. And then, you know, the supply side is underpricing a T-shirt to give themselves some runway for the next week. And you're buying the underpriced T-shirt because, oh, that's a really good deal, but I'm sacrificing my liquidity, 
you know, my cash flow, my cash flow now, and then I have to pay my rent on my credit card. And it's like, I, 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 you know, the whole job of like the federal reserve is to try to juggle all of these things, the dual mandate, like keeping, uh, unemployment low and keeping inflation low. (laughs) Right. And like the environment we're living in is a very strange one because you have really high employment and really high inflation. Stagflation. My thing is like, do we have high employment or do we just have a lot of people working part time? Well, exactly. I, I, this is, is very... where uh, I'm at. Just like looking at the world, I'm like, there's a lot of people not working, and it's not just like, you know, like, you know, bum level or like tech layoff people, but like there are eye bankers who are like, I'm in between things because my shit folded. You know, like there's people who are like, I'm a healthcare executive, but I needed to step away because I was burnt out. And now I have to get back. Like, you know, like, it's not as if they're they're technically unemployed. It's all the same. But it's like there's different realities to that. Oh, definitely. I mean, I thought you were going to go a different direction because when you say there's a lot of people that are, like, partially employed mm-hmm. or, or barely or gig economy. Yeah. I mean, th- this is a Just huge talking like point a... in, with economists right yeah. now is like it, it's very unclear what the employment figure actually means because just because you're bringing in some income or because you're writing a 1099 right does that mean that you've employed someone because that's not what we think of as employment with benefits and investment and that kind of thing like part-time employment is the same thing you got a w-2 but you could be working 12 hours a week well i think it's i think it's very clear that at this point the federal reserve and the government the people keeping track of these official metrics i think they basically I think if you didn't numbers, make yeah. zero dollars this year, I think they're counting you as employed. That's not good enough. It's, it's t- not accurate. I mean, listen, it's tough though. Just be, just because you're getting a 1099, there's some Uber Uber drivers that I'm sure make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, like their working conditions, although that's like an ethical and moral problem, perhaps are a different issue than like their employment and their income. They're just a freelancer that does really well. Yeah. We're also just talking about like the there's idea. plenty of freelancers that do really bad. And, yeah. the, and the other side of that that I think you're right in pointing out is that there's plenty of high income people that just choose not to work. Right. So they're technically unemployed, uh, but have a they're lot good. of cash yeah. on hand. So yeah, they're, they're fine. fine. Yeah. Or they're investing. So they don't really have to do anything if they don't want to. Um, the other part of that is like, you know, you may be employed, but you're underemployed, you know, or there's the quadruple work from home job people who are. I don't know how anyone that is, is get- one of my favorite subreddits of all time. How anyone is getting away with that fucking scam? Because like, I kind of want to find them and just be like, just email their boss immediately and be like, "Hi, they work for four other people." Like, how it's so greedy and also, like, all it does is also show that you don't really need like as many people. Because, like, those jobs are basically jokes at that point. If you can do four of them full-time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, that's psychotic to me. But, like, also, fuck you. Like, what are you doing? Like, that's bad. Uh, well, no. Look, I mean, I don't hold it against those individuals. I mean, I think that's a very temporary loophole in a system that, you know, believe me, people in power will figure out how to close that. Yeah. That's way too much power. That's way too much. Um, how does the IRS at the end of their go? How the fuck are you doing this just time wise? You can't do that. I mean, I don't think they care because they're generating a lot of revenue off oh, those people as long as they keep it above board. I mean, the government has no real incentive to stop you from doing that, to be that's frank. True. Yeah. It's the corporations that do, which is why I don't think that will exist very long. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think like 
in terms of these macro issues, like talking about fiat currency and all this stuff. I mean, the whole reason that conspiracy people get all wigged out about central bank digital currencies, basically coming along and surveilling everyone, China style, is that's how they're going to close a lot of these loopholes that currently exist. And that's how, ironically, or not ironically, I mean, just frankly, that's how we're going to get better data on what the actual economic situation is. It's gotten to the point where... I think anyone stands to gain from actual economic data, to be perfectly honest. Well, no, I mean, it's a tailspin all over the place. Look, I think in in terms of I think in terms of neoliberal economists and Federal Reserve people that are in charge as much as possible of guiding the economy and this scheme we call globalization need that information. And what gets presented to us as economic data, this is already true, but what gets presented to us as economic data in the media is a totally different issue. That's just an issue of optics and getting the right people elected so that the people, the bankers that are actually in charge of this situation can control the scheme. Mm -hmm. I agree with you that that information will probably still be massaged and like, you know, wording will get changed so that it looks very good. But I think the situation as it stands right now is bad for both parties because nobody's getting accurate information. They're propagandizing us, and then they're not getting enough data on what they need. So the whole idea behind the central bank digital currency, besides resetting the system, because the bubble of the fiat currency where you have to keep making more debt, you know, the hyperinflation story that happened in Weimar, Germany, and many other times in history needs to be avoided and that's the way to do it is reset the currency system you know nixon taking us off the gold standard things like this like reset it they're going to reset it and they're going to reset it to a basically blockchain bitcoin based system but it's not going to be bitcoin it's going to be fedcoin or whatever and then every single transaction you ever have will be tracked so overemployed people you're found out you're done uh you know They'll they'll have better data on who's underemployed, who's high net worth, still spending money but not employed. That will change the scheme completely because you won't think of things in terms of employment anymore. Right. You'll think of things in terms of engagement now, mm. much like social media companies actually right, already yeah. do. It'll just be the same model, and then engagement you'll t- doesn't actually mean shit though. Oh well, in terms of social media, it doesn't. In I'm, a I'm certain just speaking sense, in terms but... of like marketing and you know ROI. No, but in terms of in terms of spending it matters a lot. Yeah. Is someone still engaged in the economy or not? Right. That's what we're actually talking about. Unemployed versus employed doesn't really matter so much anymore because those categories have gotten really blurry. Like you said, yeah. if you are a billionaire that's not working, you're unemployed? What does that mean? Yeah. It doesn't mean anything in terms of your economic weight. Hmm. So it'll be much more useful to track things in terms of who's engaging with what now that has the dystopian factor of also being able to police your speech and your behavior and all of these things that the alex joneses of the world worry about we're already there but and rightfully but that's the thing post 9-11 we're more or less there anyways Mm. you know Hmm. but that's where it's headed i i and you know like the utopian case for a CBDC is... Can you smoke it? Uh, CBD? Well, mm, 
You, you can you can massage it on your lower back if you have pain and trouble sleeping. Great. You know. Mm. But the utopian case for that is short. You're going to lose some civil rights, but the economy will be better managed and will do something like a universal basic income to kind of fill in the gaps rather than make people pointlessly work. Yeah. And there and you know, painted one way, that's not that bad of a deal. I think a lot of people would take that deal, which is why I think this is inevitable. Hmm. Um, because, of course, there'll be people like me that are like, 1776 must commence again. You know, <laughs> we're coming for you if you take my dollar. Uh-huh. But people that don't really think about this stuff, when they go, oh, shit, I don't have to drive for Uber 89 hours a week. I can just drive for Uber 41 hours a week mm-hmm. and have the gap filled in. As long as I don't say the wrong thing. It's not about saying the wrong thing. but They don't even think about it in those terms, yeah. but that's effectively what it means. I mean... I don't spend on the wrong thing. I don't say the wrong thing. I just am a productive member of society in a drone-like way. A lot of people are going to take that deal. More people than not. Hmm. I mean, don't you think? Don't think about true. it. I don't know. People love cash. People love cash, and people also love getting away with money stuff with the government. Hi, hello. Um, you know. Yeah, but here's the here's the problem: is people. I think I think that all of the accusations are a little bit misdirected. People don't love cash. People don't love getting away with petty things uh, with paying their bucks, taxes. Yeah. What they like is having a standard of living that they can't quite achieve. If that's simply given to you and the consequence is stop doing all this petty crime. I think a lot of people are going to take the deal of, okay, I'll stop doing the petty crime as long as you just give it to me. And I think think that power would much rather have that situation. Hmm. Because in in a certain sense, is that not a better society? Like, forget everything you've been enculturated to believe about dystopias and civil rights and ideals right at the baseline if a lot of petty crime is eliminated and people's standard of living stays the same even let's say it goes up a tick is that not a better world than now it is but here's the thing i think that because the as you said the world operates on so much debt that that would bring the debt potential so much lower that there would be so much pushback but you don't need the debt to liquidity ratio anymore. That's the problem that we're having. Everyone's an- has anxiety about their debt. Yeah. So they commit a lot of petty crime. Yeah. Whether that's keeping yourself in forbearance and a student loan for longer than necessary because you keep reporting your income is slightly lower than it is, right? Like Oops. that's also petty crime. Yeah. Eh. Or, uh, whether that's robbing a fucking bodega because you're on a way lower end of that spectrum and you need fifty bucks right now. A lot of that stuff can be eliminated by simply knowing what you're doing all the time. Hmm. And I think that it's a very, frankly, wow, I can't believe I'm going to say this, a very privileged issue to say you're taking my civil rights by knowing what I'm doing. Well, it's like you have to have a certain level of comfort to give a shit. You also are already doing that just out of convenience anyway. I mean, shit. That's why we have Omni. Well, I'm not, but a lot of people are. Hmm. I still have a fucking Metro card. I'm so pissed. About a, fucking Omni. I have a Metro card too, but that's because like if I'm feeling Pavo, I load it in advance so that way I don't have to worry about moving around the cabin, you know? Yeah. Well, but but your point still stands, which is the same thing I'm trying to say. 
out of convenience, this will be better. You track for a lot my of movement people. every day of the mm-hmm. of the week. You know. Yeah, yeah. We got to turn that off, but uh, it's useful when you're looking for a gallery, and then you're like, "Oh shit, he's over there." Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. No, all of these, all of these little in, infringements that seem dystopian have a lot of upside, especially to everyday people that have the mentality consciously or not that i have nothing to hide so what does it matter Mm. i mean i can't tell you how many times i've been sitting around like a holiday dinner table with my family in ohio and like some uncle says anyone who says that has the most shit to hide i don't think that's true Mm. i i think they actually genuinely don't but they that's why they don't understand they got a body buried somewhere maybe but like it's just more that I don't know how much are ideals worth to you. You know, somewhere on their Amazon, you know, search history, they have a butt plug in there and they don't want to talk about it. Like I wish they had it shipped to a P.O. box. Well, I wish that was true, but I think that this is a fantasy of people like you and I. I think most people, most regular people are not up to much, honestly. Mm. It it requires a lot of self-reflection to hide things. And it requires a lot of self-reflection to be interested in the idea of privacy. I think a lot of people don't really think that hard about anything. It goes hand in hand. You have to be a thinker to care about protecting what's inside your mind. And I don't think most people are that. Says the man talking into a microphone that we're going to blast this out to. Oh, yeah. But, you know, people, you think you know me. Well, yeah. Hey, by the way, before the episode ends, uh, shout out Natalie. We went to Natalie's show. Mm-hmm. Thank Good you for show. having us. Yeah. Nice show. Yeah, yeah. Great cider. What was great cider? Did you put a little whiskey in there? Absolutely not. Oh, I did. I can't have brown liquor. You know this. I know. I'm not trying to cry. I'm not a. Oh, well, yeah. Blackout Billy and all that. He wouldn't come out. But um, no, great show. We love round paper on a tondo. Yeah, they looked really nice. I was yeah. I was really excited to see her do big work too. Yeah, I to- I'd been seeing them on Instagram, right, and totally expected twelve by twelve inches or something. But it, you know, oh, I can never get to scale on an Instagram. Is that bad? Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Neither can yeah. I. And yeah. I just knowing how Natalie's worked in the past, it was I was like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, these are big and impressive. They look they're very handsome. Partnered with wonderful sculpture too, yeah. like made sense together. Looked great. Yeah. yeah. And I liked that uh it was a relatively small gallery space. I liked that it was like two works each. They didn't go nuts. It was classy. It was well done. I mean, I I I feel like I haven't seen an overhung show in a while, which is good. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I don't go to a lot of shows anymore, so mm. I guess I don't know. But I, I would just assume that people... I'm not you even saying... You ever go to Manit and Degas? Not yet. Same. I was supposed to go Tuesday, but I was a little too hungover. Well, let's end this episode and start the after show with uh, Manit and Degas. Okay. Okay. <laughs>